Well, hey now, and welcome to Where Wine Takes You, America's fastest growing wine podcast, where we celebrate the wine, the people, the stories that make wine so special here in Paso Robles Wine Country. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Well, we are still in harvest. Most have definitely hit that halfway point. We're mid-October, which means we are on the heels of Harvest Wine Weekend here in Paso. We will talk more about that later, but needless to say, if you are in Paso this weekend, make sure to hit up PasoWine.com, link up to your favorite winery, and zero in on what sounds fun to you. You can search by day, by winery, by wine, by activity even. It's all at PasoWine.com. Please take a second now, or when you can, to share the podcast. You could share by texting it to someone you want to maybe further prove you're smarter than or cooler than. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It means so much to us here, and it really does help us along. If you have a question, you can leave a review of the podcast in your Apple Podcast app. You can ask right there, or you could DM me on Insta at Adam on the Air. I'll get folks who have suggestions for future shows, some who have questions because they're coming into town, they want to know what's up, or folks who just want to say that they're enjoying hanging out with us here. Love hearing from you, so feel free. We also got another Travel Paso Spotlight after our interview today. Going to go old school with you. Today, I want to share another activity one with some perhaps Wild West flavor to it. We'll talk about that coming up. Now, there is a saying. There is white wine, there is red wine, and there is Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir will get you through times of no money better than money will get you through times of no Pinot Noir. Bordeaux is made by men, Pinot Noir by God. Lots of quotes on Pinot. I love this one from Richard Sanford of Almarosa, a definite Pinot legend. I've had a chance to interview him. He was fantastic. Quote, there's a magic in Pinot Noir. It's a lifelong pursuit. While Cabernet is in front of grand homes, Pinot Noir is in peasant plots. Pinot Noir is of the earth. There's that part of Pinot Noir that is decay. There's a sort of fleetingness about it. There's a purity. It's refreshing. It's without clutter. That again from the great Richard Sanford, Pinot Noir legend from Omarosa Winery. Now when cabs and even zins can be a perfect gateway into wine and understanding what you like, Pinot Noir is not normally one of the first varietals that, you know, brings you in. Now that being said, the deeper you dive into what you like, into your own understanding of fruit, of soil, of earth, terroir, crossing paths with Pinot Noir seems inevitable. It's acquired taste, brilliant window into wrapping your head around a sense of place, along with arduous requirements in both the vineyard and the cellar, make Pinot's intrigue and appreciation something to savor. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you here. Paso is not the first or sometimes the second or third, maybe even fourth growing region mentioned off your lips when you talk about Pinot Noir. Today, we're going to find out why. Maybe because there are local regions that maybe are more typically cooler climates. I mean, Santa Maria Valley, Santa Rita Hills, Santa Lucia Highlands to the north of us, Edna Valley, just rattling off a few regions known for their Pinot Noir and also right here on the Central Coast. But what about Paso? While it's true, Paso has been known for its ability to achieve ripeness and its ability to make big and expressive wines. It's also true that Paso has areas where soil, ocean influence, elevation and climate can and have for decades been able to grow some world-class Pinot Noir. 
We're going to hear some of that history today. We're going to hear some of the history of HMR Ranch. HMR stands for Hoffman Mountain Ranch. Stan Hoffman, who got world-renowned winemaker Andrei Chelichev, who many call America's most influential post-prohibition winemaker, to survey the mountain and plant some Pinot in the 60s that is still rocking and rolling today. Its cuttings have been passed on to carry the torch of Pinot in Paso. HMR Ranch, the vines later became Adelaide Vineyards, and they are a great place to channel this history, not to mention taste it. We will get some of that history today with winemaker of Adelaide, Jeremy Weintraub. He's a tremendously talented winemaker. He's soft-spoken. He is brilliant. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention his own brand, Sight, which are also just special, special wines you should check out. S-I-T-E. I love the history and the story of Adelaide Wines. If you remember, we actually told a little of this story in our conversation with John Munch, who was the first winemaker there. So although Adelaide makes many world-class wines, they are one of a few that make Pinot Noir. In addition to Jeremy, we will introduce you to Mark Goldberg of Windward Vineyard. Mark and his wife, Maggie, are Paso legends. Mark came to Paso with Maggie after they retired, and more than a hobby, they have a popular brand and even more popular reputation. Mark and Maggie are this picture-perfect version of how we would all want and love the years to treat us. Mark is 88, and his confidence, his heavy jewelry, his olive skin. I mean, if wine all the time can make me mature the way Mark has, sign me up for a five-gallon dispenser in my kitchen. His wife, Maggie, although unfortunately not mic'd up for this conversation, it's important to express how she also plays an unmistakably important part of this whole recipe as well of why this wine is so good, why this brand is so popular, and how they are so appreciated in the Paso Robles community. Mark and Maggie, by all accounts, are a package deal. I love this couple, because they are both giving the other credit all the time. They truly enjoy each other, look out for each other, love each other, and you see it, you feel it. They have been producing Pinot Noir since the early to mid-90s, and that's all they produce, Pinot. They're located on Highway 46 West, maybe only a mile or two from the 101 freeway. I show up to Mark and Maggie's home behind the tasting room. Yes, I brought Georgie. Jeremy showed up with his black lab too. And all the dogs are playing upstairs above us. The Goldbergs have a, a French poodle. I say above us because we are in their wine cellar. It's a cellar over 100 years old, and it's lined with rock. Decades of dusty bottles here from ones Mark has made. Old Frenchie bottles, old Napa. There are some large format local bottles. I see an Eberly in here. In the middle of this over 100 year old cellar, a round wood table, some glasses, some wine, and now my roadcaster, and we are ready to talk Pinot. So give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on down till the job is Get out in the trees, it will simplify good company. Cheers. Look Cheers. at this. You see in to your hygiene. This has got to be one of the cooler caves I've, you know, like underground, under like cellars under the house ever. Yeah. This is really nice, Mark. Thank well, you for a, having it's us. It's authentic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like sure. it's lined with rocks all around us mm-hmm. and old dusty bottles. I mean, this is like stepping into another country. Well, Mark Chelischiff, Andre's nephew that filmed the, um, the, uh, documentary Andre that was filmed here. Right. So he came over and he sat down here and uh, we became great friends and he 
didn't want to leave. He said, let's go through a few of those bottles. <laughs> <laughs> what well, kind of stuff? This is your personal collection. Well, yeah, I have uh, not just the first bottles that I ever made in 93, which, by the way, I opened one for Mark, and it blew him away. He said, no, you don't make 28, 29-year-old Pinot Noirs in Paso. And I said, yes, I do, because the big thing for me is more Burgundian style, and it's uh, everybody says Burgundian style, but, you know, the oldest varietal in France is Burgundy, so the grape is sort of woven into the culture of the whole area of Burgundy. Their food, the way they think, and uh, all of their lifestyle has to do with piece of geography, and the good luck of having had years and years ago, many years ago, a varietal in that geography that was so spectacular that kings insisted that's all that they'd plant. Let's talk about two things that I just want to get off right from the beginning. We also have Jeremy Weintraub here, who is the winemaker for Adelaida. It's really cool to have you here, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so I mean, the, the history between Adelaida and Windward, you're going to find out, is very, very rich. And first of all, the idea of Pinot and Paso, because there are a lot of people, and we'll get both of your takes on this, but there are a lot of people who will pan Pinot and Paso. And we know Paso has a lot of microclimates. Paso can do a lot of unique things very at an extraordinary level so did you ever get uh, pushback on this in the beginning or what do you did, did you over the years or when people say oh you can't grow Pinot in Paso uh, I, I got more than uh, pushback and you know, I got the disbelief Paso Pinot are you out of your mind you know you can't and even a lot of the agriculture guys here would say uh, it's the wrong climate you can't grow uh, Pinot Noir here but fortunately when I found this vineyard we were searching all over for an ideal vineyard to realize the um, the vision that Maggie and I had after we finished with hospital administration work and going toward retirement, we were looking for uh, the possible land that we could use to make a great American Burgundian-style Pinot Noir. And I say that Burgundian-style because in those days, everybody that was making Pinot Noir was sort of over ripening it and getting huge wines and so they didn't really taste like french pinot noir they were the opposite and a lot of people didn't like the color because pinot noir is naturally has a beautiful hue but it would be uh, i hate to use the word lighter in color but that's because people use lighter in a whole different uh, meaning right and uh, this was the uh, the land that we found at first. And then listening to a lot of the ag people say that, oh, you cannot grow Pinot Noir in Paso. I ran into this fellow and we became friends. His name is Bruce Schaumler, who's passed now. And Bruce said, what do you mean you can't make Pinot in Paso? Did you ever hear Stan? 
I said, Stan? He said, yeah, yeah, he's a cardiologist from Beverly Hills, and he starts spilling about it. I said, yeah, and he said, we made a great Pinot Award, and in 76, he took it to France, and he won some awards. I hung in there, you know. I said, no, he said, I would love to taste it. And so we went down in his cellar, and he brought up uh, a 1976 HMR, Hoffman Mountain Ranch Pinot Award. I have a couple bottles left over here. And I took one sip, and I looked at Maggie and said, uh, this is it. If I can get close to this wine, if I can just get close to the profile and the taste, we're home. That's so interesting because to fulfill that history, I mean, that's kind of where you're going to fill in a lot of these blanks, Jeremy. I mean, with Adelaida, Stanley Hoffman, uh, HMR, we've heard these terms before, kind of fill in those gaps. Sure. I do want to just kind of second what Mark was saying. I uh, admit uh, that I was one of those ignorant Oh no! No, no I, I when you make I when the I no, I was no, no, no. <laughs> when I first uh, when I first was shown HMR Ranch and driven through there, it was en route to look at Adelaide's Cabernet Sauvignon planting about a mile away, and I remember looking at the the plants, which are are old and uh, and beautiful, and thinking, well, you know, who's Whose idea was it to plant Pinot Noir in, in Paso Robles? Because there is a, a really tired um, a, a tired saying that Pinot only grows cold climates. I mean, it's redundant at this point. It's a, it's You hear it constantly, and it's completely idiotic. And it's based on some growing regions that are cooler. No one has ever accused Paso Robles of being a, a, a cold cool climate growing region but if you were to look at santa maria is colder than burgundy does that mean that santa maria makes a a, a better pinot noir than than burgundy central otago where i worked nearly 20 years ago and martinboro are many times colder than burgundy and it's all different styles the thing that Paso Robles and specifically, I think some of the older plantings here in the area, and especially what I can speak of at HMR is that it's the soil. And I mean, I have a geology background, but even, you know, I was, I was really blown away by the effect of the soil on the style of the wine. So, you know, Mark has in mind a Burgundian style. I think the wine that comes off of HMR is, I don't want to say no fault of my own, but it, it's it's going to be that more of a, a, a cooler climate style. I, I can't make a Russian River Syrah type Pinot Noir, even if I wanted to from that vineyard, because of the chemistry of the soil there, the limestone that, that we're sitting on. And so the things that you look at look at for Pinot Noir as far as uh, why you would think it's cooler climate is because it's it's maybe higher in acid and, and lower in alcohol. But those things are achieved, I think, on HMR, and uh, I could only speak to that in that the limestone soil leads to wines with a very low pH, and the plants are 57 years old. They're not making a lot of sugar anymore. They I can't make an extracted or a Santa Rita Hill-style Pinot Noir. So would you to. say that, you know, since we all kind of openly know... Pinot Noir to be a cooler temperature grape, really what we need to kind of wrap our heads around is that it's the soil that makes Pinot Noir so unique, not just 
initially dependent on it being a cool growing climate. Right. I think there, you know, soil is one of the things that is going to affect the style or the the overall makeup of the wine. It was um, it was just a surprise to me that it would have such a an overwhelming effect. Uh, the same and and overcompensate for temperature. That's my takeaway from it. And, and, you know, I'm still learning, you know, eight years after farming the vineyards. Now, again, you said you kind of came into this and you were even a little bit skeptical. Yeah. You came from Napa before this. When you first got that first crush of Pinot onto your Adelaide crush pad, were you, you know, what was your, what was your take on that? How, how did you attack it? Um, I, so, I mean, I'd been making, I'd made Pinot Noir before and I, I use and continue to, to kind of follow a traditional practice. There's not a whole lot of bells and and whistles to it. I, I really want that vineyard to speak much, much more loudly than, than I could. As far as, you know, the hand of mother nature, I want to be the dominant one in it. And I was blown away when it came onto the crush pad and throughout the growing season. Now, as we're kind of reverse engineering that history that Mark got into, and now we've just filled in some of those gaps, take me to the late 60s. Andre Chelichev and Stanley Hoffman are walking around the grounds of what is now Adelaida. Adelaida owns the HMR Ranch. According to Stan, he had just returned from Burgundy and hired Andre, and they were walking the ground together, and Andre was kicking the soil, and and, uh, everybody that knew Andre knew that his holy grail was Pinot Noir. And he looked at Stan and said, Stan, this is Pinot Noir territory. I'm going to get you some wood, and we're going to plant Pinot Noir here, as well as the other French varietals, Yeah, which were rare and in Paso at the time. So it was instinctive for Andre to say this is the right climate, the right soil, and all of the elements smell right to me, you know, for Pinot. And, and that's the guy, how he worked. He worked instinctively as well as scientifically. He was well-trained as a scientist, but he also had this incredible instinct of putting together from uh, millions of complex multivariate analysis a feeling, a concept about what's right and what sort of doesn't work well. Right. I mean, Mark has Mark has a, a depth of knowledge in the history of, of this, and, and it's something that I that I've compiled over the years because of my my interests and love of, of the wine that that comes off of that ranch. And um, so I've I've you know, in, in part of doing my piecing together some of the the puzzle. I mean, I spoke with Mark. Yeah. I spoke with Mark Chalachev, and um, and I have some of the old tasting notes that Andre. Chalachev had written up about the wines, and uh, they're cool. and they're amazing, and there's you know, there, there are things that I tri- that I cherish really yeah. as, a, as a wine grower. Well, save them for the the wine history project. Don't throw them away. No, no, yeah, never, <laughs> never. No, those are going on eBay. Um, we have here we have uh, Jeremy Weintraub, who is the winemaker for Adelaida, and we have Mark Goldberg, who is uh, he and Maggie have Windward Pinot Noir. That is all they do is Pinot Noir. There is uh, their home is attached to where they taste and where they make the wines and we are under that home in I want to say more than 100 year old cellar oh yeah 125 yeah. when you look at the way Paso's changed what goes through your mind there was absolutely nothing and uh, 12 wineries that was it most of them small 
course, uh, the godfather was here, Gary, and yeah. he was a leader in the industry. When I started, Ken Volk had graduated a couple years before that and started uh, the Wild Horse Winery. And uh, he was really like Andre Teleschiff. He was a, it was his holy grail as well to make a great Pinot Noir. So it gets all planted. How does that all come together? My understanding, and this is from our ranch manager, Mike Whitener, his father, John Whitener, was the ranch manager for HMR. And so he and Mike planted that vineyard. So my understanding from Mike is that he was driven up there in a truck to Saratoga. One of the uh, Palmasan had a vineyard there and they picked up the plants came back and planted them all the next day over the course of the next week or so. One of the things that I I absolutely love, you know, I've sent the leaves up to Davis to try and get some analysis to try and figure out, you know, what exactly I'm looking at. And, well, first of all, they can't tell you anything other than it's Pinot Noir and and not Cabernet Sauvignon, but it's definitely Pinot Noir. Probably, and from the the history that I've read, uh, and this is from newspaper and magazine articles. There's very little in the way of historical record apart from Andrei Chelichev's tasting notes that I can find, at least, that it could have been a DRC clone. Uh, of the Martini clone as well. So, and it actually, I'm glad you said that because when I first looked at it, I thought Martini clone just morphologically. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, regardless, what I love is that I don't actually know. And, you know, people ask me about the clones or the root stocks, and I don't care at, at all. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a conversation that I think is better had at, a, at an academic conference and probably should be relegated to that because, especially speaking about Pinot Noir, which again, when you're talking about, you know, the, the, this wine that is romanticized, that is delicate by its nature, that evokes feelings and, and senses, that who gives a crap what the genetics of it are. I think what's what's much more compelling is to just, you know, drink the wine and, and, and enjoy it. I mean, uh, you know, I'm happy to have the conversation about the, 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 the clone rootstock and the, the Vodensfield clone, if it's on 5BB, what kind of whiskey lactones you're going to... I think it's... <laughs> I'm really not actually that happy to talk about it. Right, no, I, I get what you mean, know, though, it's, right. It's, 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 like, you're certainly it's, capable of having that conversation. Yeah, I just think it's... But I, it's almost like when someone, when they first start drinking wine... And they swirl the glass and they go and ask the, the, the educator or the tasting attendant, oh, tell me about the legs. Right. It's like, you're no, you're missing the whole point here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, That's cool. I like the, the way you put that. Yeah. And I, the history itself is is super interesting to me. But as far as, you know, I, I, I'm kind of of the point, and, and I've had some of the older bottles that Mark mentioned, you know, the, the mid-70s, and, and they're amazing. And, and there is a, there's a through line from those earliest vintages to the wines that that uh, the wines that are being 
that are coming off the property now. And I think uh, I think that speaks to the the site as as just being such a special important place. I love asking people who have been here for several decades, Mark, when it comes to like you know a legacy or things that you want to. You know, you've been spending so many decades with passion and passion doing what you're doing. And you know when I've gotten the chance to talk to like Gary Eberly or or these folks that have been here for a long time, what they want that legacy to be in Paso. What do you want yours and Windward's to be? Well, the legacy I want is what the vision Maggie and I had, which was to be remembered as a guy that was pushing for a great American Burgundian-style Pinot Noir that wasn't messed with and didn't have over-ripeness. I've lived my life in science, and that's the love of my life, beside Maggie sitting here. I could talk about the quantum electrodynamics of wine and what are happening at the atomic level. But, you know, winemaking is really all of the history, and everything you write down is really anecdotal. My life was after working in the field of public health. My life was dedicated to making, as I say, a great American Pinot Noir. And it's all all, all we do. Did you and Maggie ever we... flirt with the idea throughout the decades of uh, Windward? Um, let's throw in a cab. When you come and taste Windward, you are only going to taste Pinot Noir. Well, I only have 15 acres, and you're only not only only going to taste Pinot Noir, because that's what we have, but you're going to taste every grape that came from that vineyard and what it has to say, because it's got a cousin grape right down the, the row, you know, a few blocks, <laughs> and they talk to each other underneath the soil, so the whole thing is connected, and uh, you're... <laughs> I would never. In fact, whenever I was working with Kenny Volk, who was my first mentor in helping me get started, uh, Kenny, uh, when we first were testing the cuvee, which I have over there, called Windward Cuvee, made by Kenny Volk and me, went a little bit, you know, that was the first one in 1990. We were tasting, he'd lay out different, this one had 4%. Syrah, this one had a little Alicante Boucher, this one. and Ken's point was, look, you're going into business, you're going to make wine, you're going to want to sell it. If it's real light like that, you're not going to sell it. The people are not buying lighter wine. So let's add a little color here and there too. You know. And I would taste it. I said, no. The f- pure Pinot that's in that glass, those four clowns that we picked, that's all I want. I do not want any additional things to make it color because it's going to change the character and the nature of the wine. And it does dramatically, just 4% of, yeah. of Syrah and the Pinot Noir. You don't really drink a Pinot Noir anymore. You know? So, so I would never, ever change. I never would plant because what we have is what windward vineyards that speaks about itself by the wine you have in your glass and you're drinking it and you enjoy it and like uh, I've said a million times before I'm not a winemaker windward vineyard is the winemaker I am a wine shepherd I follow the grapes in make sure nothing bad happens to them do no harm 
just like a good doctor, you know. Yeah, I love that. Let us know, because obviously in Adelaida, you're making a lot more than just Pinot Noir. I talk about your Pinot program, but then also other things. I mean, you guys have had award-winning wines all over the spectrum. Do you have a the varietal that you think you do better than others, though? Do you feel like I crush it at Cab? Like, Cab I, <laughs> comes easy to me, but man, I really got to try hard when it comes to, uh, you know, Rhone Whites yeah, or, well, or Pinot. Or, right. Uh, I mean, the dirty secret of Cabernet Sauvignon is a, a hell of a lot more forgiving than just about anything else out there. Especially you Pinot. Could, uh, especially Pinot, Grenache. I mean, Cabernet Sauvignon, you could beat it with a sledgehammer all day long. Yeah. There's a place for 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 all of it. It's so interesting to see uh, where Paso has gone. I mean, just in like the small, you what, maybe eight, seven, eight years now for you? Yeah, eight years. Yeah, I mean, you know, by all accounts, Adelaide has always had a, a very good reputation, a fantastic reputation. They've had great winemakers. And to come in there and then do what you've done with the program is really really exciting yeah i don't want to sound you know fake humble or anything but i but uh, who gives a crap you know at the end of the day i think that that ground um is going to continue to to as as long as it's farmed well and and mark you know, mention the people working there and doing the farming. As long as everyone's on the same page and and <laughs> and trying to to grow something distinctive and, and yeah, it, who, it doesn't matter who. Sure. Doing. I mean, I, I I and again, like the the early or the mid seventies Pinot Noirs, I think have a lot in common with the 2019. I think there's a lot to be said, uh, and, and it's not the winemaker. Yeah, but you, but I mean, and, and I look at I mean, you are far beyond more wise in these realms than I, but I mean, to a certain extent, you look at when a good program or a great program gets a really good winemaker that fits in there, and you watch that program even go into overdrive. I can look at Eberly. I mean, Eberly's always had award-winning wines. He has never struggled for accolades, but they got Chris Eberly, you know, in 2015, and they're in overdrive. I feel like what's cool about you is that you're just very sincere and thoughtful and modest, but very capable. And I mean, I appreciate that. I, I Again, I'm not dismissing how I approach my work, sure. but, I, but really, I'm standing on the shoulders of people like Mark and, and others, and Gary Eberly, and people who were were actual pioneers and in, in the area. Well, so. let's let's not forget the Munchkin who started Adelaide. <laughs> oh yeah, that that's brilliant right. guy that's right. called yeah. wow. John Munch, Michael yeah. Munchkin and yeah. John Munch. He was before anybody. He yeah. was making champagne here yeah. in the early 60s. If you ever can find an old bottle of it, it's spectacular. Yeah. We had him on the podcast. He was a great conversation, and he was kind enough to bring his old library Adelaide's. I've got some here. They were fantastic. And that's the thing about Adelaide. You open up an old Eberly, you open up an old Adelaide. I've had some old Windwards. They just sing. Yeah. It's really special. And, and here's John Munch. John Munch opened a old, old Chardonnay, and it was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool to see the ageability of Paso. I'm glad you brought up John Munch, because he is not just so much Paso history, but he is so much Adelaide history, for sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, he yeah. started it. Yeah, he was the first. He and his wife. Yeah. 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 We used to go to his home for dinner and stuff, and one time I remember Andrea, and uh, I was sitting there at the table, and I felt this warm kind of breeze that my neck and I turned to the right and there was a horse <laughs> on my shoulder watching me eat 
he was allowed to walk into their old house and walk into the kitchen because <laughs> he was like a person and a horse. And the horse would just straight yeah. walk into their he kitchen? Right through, walk into the kitchen. Almost like Mr. Ed, nice. the old show. Yeah, but and he was, you know, house trained. He didn't poop there. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> horses poo everywhere. That's incredible. Yeah, that's he would amazing. not. He would not poop there. And that's the thing about John Munch. And, and I gotta say, I gotta put you in this in this um, category. And I know that Jeremy will agree, Mark. Uh, we have some personalities here and some hearts and minds, but wrapped in personalities that are just incredible. And like John Munch, there is no one on this planet like a John Munch. But there is nobody around here on this planet like a Mark Goldberg. That's right. right. Thank you. And there's a, it'd probably be a terrible place if there was more than one of them. <laughs> I can't handle it. Maggie can only deal with one yeah. of you. <laughs> you always mention Maggie, and for so long, as long as I've known you and your brand and Maggie, it's always been you and Maggie. I remember one time we were at World of Pinot Noir. I think you were just going as a as a consumer like you were just going to taste and jeremy and i were doing a cork dorks episode there and you and maggie are cozied up like you're just like 16 year old high school sweethearts <laughs> right by the little fireplace doing your little like i don't know you're eating some little appetizers together that you got from the bar but i remember watching you from afar and just um the two of you together are just so much fun were you it's such jealous? a fun love story i was very <laughs> jealous yeah. i think a lot of people would be jealous both men and women to look at two people who love each other the way you do mm-hmm. and and just live and exist. You know? I don't blame you. She's quite a good yeah. girl. <laughs> I was lucky. She says I'm a keeper. It's 55 years already. 55 years for you too? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You guys did this together, though. I mean, this was like oh, yeah. partners in crime. We're doing it. Exactly. From the very beginning, it yeah. was our dedication. And I always say the same thing. You know, uh, windward is my life. It is not my livelihood. And uh, all my passion goes into it. And I say it's not my livelihood because we didn't intend to be a nonprofit corporation. But uh, we are. Windward is? Nonprofit? Yeah. Yeah, but I said we didn't intend it. Oh, you intended it. Oh, like, I get it. I get it. I'd like to make yeah, I'd like to make a little bit. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's, we talk about like why you, get, you don't get into radio or winemaking uh, to make a mint. That's so funny, though. You delivered that so well and so dry that I, 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 I bet. Yeah, same here. That's same pretty here. funny. Oh, that's so good. You retire doing this, but obviously there's a lot of hard work that goes into running a brand for both you and Maggie. But in the end, like you did it. You're doing it. I mean, it's yeah, pretty exciting. Uh, it's Maggie and myself and our son and a couple part-time people that are wonderful. And we just hired a new uh, manager. She's wonderful. We don't have a large staff. You know, we have to hire uh, labor contractors and things like that when the project is too big for me to handle. But everything else we do together. How do you taste here? When do you open? Do you need to make an appointment? Oh, we're open seven days a week from uh, 10.30 to 5. And because I only make one wine, if you came in and I charge you $15 for uh, an ounce of wine, you wouldn't be very happy. So like in France and like in Burgundy, you have a what's called a vertical. And you come in and get uh, one, two, three, four, five glasses of wine so that you can see the youngest wine, how that would taste. Older one year, older one year, older one year. So it gives you perspective of the vineyard. Of the, of, 
the profile would yeah. have been yours, but how that profile matures. So everyone that comes in, they get a five-year vertical. That's oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, Adelaida, a few years back, you guys redid the whole tasting room. I mean, it's really something to see. It's a beautiful place. you got to check it out. They do a great job at Adelaida. And um, obviously having a lot more wines. I've been up there. Those tastings are fun. Those are great. Yeah, we do a really special um, hilltop tasting. So um, above the winery is the highest point in the AVA. So it's 2,320 feet. And we take people up there for a special tasting um, of the what we call signature level wines. So they let you in your winery. Yeah. You know, they let me in the winery, just not in the tasting room. Yeah. yeah. So well, they let me in, but they don't let me near the register. Yeah. I'm not allowed to ring anybody up. I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's really special to Adelaide and its wine is the elevation. Uh, Adelaide is in, of course, uh, the Adelaide District. And you just mentioned that, you know, geological marker at like 23 plus 100 feet, highest point in the Paso AVA. You also have some uh, really cool hillside vineyards, I think, of Hiking, some cool Cap Franc that comes right. from all around there. Talk about just the role that elevation plays in Adelaide's profile. Yeah, elevation is is I think the driving force behind a lot of the color for for the red. Certainly, you know. Yeah. But what else? That the sign. Oh, right. sure. That high elevation. And there's nothing, that's right. Okay. Yeah. And so if you, you know, think about it from the grape's <laughs> point of view, the grape is trying to protect itself, and the vine is trying to protect itself um, from stresses, whether it's from virus or uh, a, a fungus or from heat. Or from wind or from low rainfall, you know. So the the compounds that it makes as a reaction to that, it's part of its defense mechanism, happen to be the the compounds that we like, that we find delicious in a wine and, and lend to the structure, if you will, of the wine. How is harvest looking so far? We wrapped up. Our last pick at Adelaide yesterday with Merved. Really? So yeah, it's uh, it was long though because we uh, you mentioned the the sparkling wines that John Munch made. So we started doing a method Champenoise again uh, with the 2017 vintage with with grapes from Adelaide from our HMR ranch. You've been picking early. Pick early for that, and it's really fun. And so we start in mid-August, or sometimes we've picked How in early. Fun. Oh, cool! So it's a long, it's a long period. Adelaida, let me look at the back here. I'm gonna get the website right. I don't expect you to know you're the winemaker. It is Adelaida.com. I, I, I can say yeah. Did you know that? Did you know yeah, that? I did know that one. Yeah. So what's the website? Uh, <sighs> see. <laughs> Adelaida.com. Yeah, Adelaida.com. <laughs> I love good, it. Good so me there. I don't know if you guys take walk-ins. I know you need to make an appointment, or yes. you, at least you should, because yes. it really makes the uh, it makes everything that much better when they know you're mm-hmm. coming. You know you're gonna. Where you're, it just makes it that much better. Well, we don't really push that. Uh, if you make an appointment, that's great because we can schedule it easier. But right. please, you know, please, if you're driving by and you wanted a taste of Pinot or Cabernet, then we'll accommodate you any way we can. Just like it. that, just like Adelaide, they're not going to turn you away. Sure. You know? It's great because we have all of our dogs here. We didn't know that this was going to happen, but Jeremy brought his lab. I brought Georgie. You have, is that a puppy, a little golden doodle? What is that you have? No, that's a French poodle. That's a French poodle? Oh, yeah, a red one. Really? That is the cutest dog, and that's like what everybody's been trying to model after with these golden doodles or whatever, but it's... Yeah, when we when we walk them, Maggie's yeah. walking them, walking them beside her, and people will say, 
Oh, he's so cute. He's the cutest. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah, the dog's cute too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work real well. Well, in the there. beginning of the show, you heard probably a little bit of barking and a little bit of like maybe a dog going, "Hey, where's Daddy?" Yeah, you know. But Jeremy. yeah, that was. Yeah, I thought that it was. was, that I, was me. I thought it was Georgie, <laughs> but um, yeah, because because we're downstairs, and I think Jeremy's yeah. dog is a little, which is interesting. A lab to be a little bit scared he of stairs. Tried, you know, he loves adventures. Stairs are way beyond his and and he tried descending the stairs from um where where my desk is upstairs down yeah. into the cellar and he did it once and when i first got him and he was a puppy and maybe eight months old and he has not done it since and i wonder if there's like a stairs. youtube video or something you can watch to help get dogs associated with stairs i mean labs normally are fearless does he must love the water he loves the water of yeah. course yeah i had a lab yeah. for 13 and a half years they're fantastic yeah they're just yeah, he's, the a, he's a really good guy yeah so george we just got a few months ago so i've been like every time i see him walking around i'm like what are you doing what's <laughs> going on you know how long have you had yours for uh, he's two years old. Yeah. Oh, cool. So pretty new, too. Okay, awesome. His name is um, Porcini. Porcini? The mushroom. What's your favorite Italian dish? Um, shiitake, because that's what I call him when he take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> Italian dish? Yeah. I cook a lot, but Maggie makes uh, everything. She makes it spectacular. Uh, you know, I like the classical pasta puttanesca, and I make a, a, a penny travesselli from the restaurant that's very unique and different. I make a lobster americano uh, with red sauce, you know. I see you out and about often. In fact, even like Raid is like kind of COVID. We were all trying to like get back out there a little bit. I think it was like the first day McPhee's opened back up. I got to give you a big hug. I saw you out there. What's some of your favorite restaurants? I, I like, <laughs> you know, I like all of them. And of course, uh, one of my favorite is Le Petit Canaille because uh, Julian, who uh, is French and he grew up playing in my backyard with my son. So I've known him ever since he's 10, and we take trips, have taken trips with the family to France and other places. And to see him go from the top position in Las Vegas at the casino, um, Caesar's Palace, most expensive restaurant as the executive chef, and to be lucky enough then to come here and give pasta the yeah. reputation so cool of that kind of a chef coming here yeah we had him on the podcast once obviously the restaurant the he's food is fantastic too, he? he's great I, I yeah I, I you love should him. see his kids oh are they yeah because he's got a couple little ones there right <laughs> yeah, or at least yeah. one little one or two two he's got two little ones mm -hmm. I think um, maybe three now I don't know but what, I know you guys are close because when I showed up here and Maggie met me on your deck Stefan was in your kitchen uh, it was, yeah, I made him open the wine for yeah he was yeah. He was pulling corks. I put a oh, was he? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so he was coming down here. Yeah, it would have been fun to have him fill this other chair. Well, th was this a lot of fun for you, Mark? Oh, anytime I'm with Adam Montiel, I enjoy myself. We do have a lot of fun, though. Yeah, you are sort of the, the new essence of what Pastor Rebels is all about. Your excitement is infectious. 
Oh, that's really sweet. I agree with that. Oh, thank you so much. Hardly. I'm yeah. going to kiss you. I'm oh. gonna, <laughs> move all these. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. That really means so much mm. because, you know, the cork dork starting about 11 years ago now, 11 years this harvest, and this podcast uh, doing its thing for a little over a year, interviewing folks like the two of you. And what's been so cool is that uh, it's just been open arms, open sellers, open minds. I, you, you never let me think I asked a stupid question when I know I've asked a bunch of them and so i mean this and everything that i've done on the air as far as like promoting uh, wine here wouldn't have happened in any other wine region i believe that i mean the wine the people here are so authentic genuine special and unique that um i'm very lucky that my you know where wine took me at the time it did was through paso mm-hmm. i'd like you to help me with one thing though hey, like you started this whole conversation today you were talking about Pasapino, you know, that's and still as we try and prevail over that difficulty for all the years that I've been striving to do it, they will have a magazine article of the California Coast Pinot Wars and skip right over Paso, even though we've got twenty six fantastic Pinot Wars. So <clears throat> I'm gonna start this campaign. Um, like you've seen on television before, the old man with a beard, you know, and he says, if you're in Paso and say uh, Pinot Noir, you say Windward Vineyard, because that's all we make. I love that. That was really good. Yeah. I love the little voiceover, voice, too. Yeah, yeah, no, it was just like, you just delivered yeah, that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. That's that. But with him here, I have to say, because that's all we make, and Adelaide makes a nice one, too. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> so generous of you. That's because I'm sitting next to him. That's all. <laughs> oh, he's got 10 wines to sell. I know, I know. But, you know, I think of some other ones. I mean, I think of, like, Ascension Ridge and what, like, Philip Crummel. I mean, he's obviously... I taught him how to make wine. Is that right? Yeah. That's awesome. made wine his life yeah i mean he's a little bit more west than here but he's got um some fantastic stuff that he's I talked him into planting that is that right that, yeah in look that, at like, that it's on your bridge yeah 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 Sunshine yeah, ridge first house yeah that's incredible yeah. oh he's beautiful ones yeah i always accuse him of getting higher scores than me because it starts with an a and oh. i have a w <laughs> <laughs> so they come to his first. Well, um, if you're on the 46 West, you're not more than like a mile or so off the freeway. You'll hit Arbor Road. If you're coming from the 101, you'll make a right. Go to where it ends. Make a quick left, and then you're you're right there. You're at Winry Pinot Noir. Yeah, right at the corner. Live Oak and Arbor. Yeah, and then if you're going to visit Adelaida, literally it is on the street of its uh, namesake. You get off the uh, – you're going to go on the – east exit but you're gonna go on you're gonna go left you're gonna go left over 24th street you'll hit what is that like lake nasimiana road yes is that they call it and then you're gonna make a left on adelaida you go for a really pretty drive and you will definitely feel and see that elevation and you can't miss it right there on your left and i mean talk about some ocean influence because when you're that high on a clear day you could like see the ocean we it's just the uh the mountain range that's that's in the way between wow between us we're about a dozen miles we have the same thing but we have the temperature gap yeah which is a break in the mountain range right where we get our wind from. Right, that's, that's that Pacific influence. In Pacific. What about um, rainfall? What did you get this year? Or ish? 10 inches. Okay, 10 inches. Yeah. Yeah, we get more than than they do in town, and we get less than they do at, at top of the south. Yeah, right, right, sure. 
Yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, did you have fun, Jeremy? I loved it. Good. This, yeah, this is, this is a great place I to hang him. out. Yeah. And You're Adam's a good guy to hang out with. Yeah. <laughs> and you live in Slow. I do. So there's no reason why we shouldn't I know. be able to meet up and grab a beverage. I know. I agree. We've said that before, but we got to make sure it happens now. Yeah. What did you think of some of those Adelaide Pinos? Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah. And what did you think of some of these Windward ones, Jeremy? Yeah. Blew me away. Oh, so much fun. Did you get the 70? Yes. Did you try the 70? I did. I tried the both. I'm going to try them again. I'm going to revisit all these. Very, There's very no reason. I mean, it's it's uh, no reason I got to go right now. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for Thanks. the time. I would love to, uh, you know, recreate this another time. Talk to both of you. To be down here in this cellar, Mark, with with this, like, this the, the way it's lit, the way it smells, and, like, the company, this is really a special time. Thank you. Say Pinot Noir. Cheers, guys. Pinot Noir. When you say Pinot Noir in Paso, he said, when we're because that's all we make. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thanks, mate. So give me that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on around till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Wow, great conversation with both those guys. Thanks to Mark Goldberg of Windward Vineyard, as well as Jeremy Weintraub of Adelaide Vineyards. So we are on the heels. Like I said, Harvest Wine Weekend in Paso. It's here, a weekend that is notorious in Paso for great experiences, pairings, dinners, excursions, all kinds of stuff happening at area wineries. If you're going to be hanging out with us this weekend, make sure you, hopefully, you've made your reservation. Not necessary, but it is always good, especially as Paso gets more and more slammed. But for one of these big weekends, it might just be a must. But make sure to visit PasoWine.com to really make Paso Wine work for you. Search by winery, by day, by activity. It's all there. Check it out and hope to see you in Paso Wine Country this weekend. I will be out and about for sure. Today's Travel Paso Spotlight I teased earlier has some Old West flavor to it. We are not talking about where to stay this time, but more of a great idea of something else you can do while you're here. We're talking about horseback riding. There is nothing more old school. And there might be nothing better than taking those skinny jeans, getting out of that Tesla, and mounting a horse to traverse the earth literally the way Jesse James did while he was here, or like John Wayne did when he was here. Central Coast Trail Rides. These folks rock. Rides available all year round, operating primarily out of the Paso Wine region, Central Coast Trail Rides offers unique guided horseback riding experiences here on the Central Coast. Partnering up with local wineries, though, or maybe private ranches, vacation properties, and local state land, their customizable packages are a great way to see the area in a completely unique fashion on your next visit. Ride around Santa Margarita Lake, or I'm staying at Cass Vineyard and Winery at the Geneseo Inn in December, and I know they work with Cass closely. I mean, Cass has for years encouraged folks to ride their horses and stay a while, but now with their partnership with Central Coast Trail Rides, it's just another way to appreciate these views, these rolling hills, and these vineyards. And the speed, the sound, the smells, the connection to the horse. Horseback riding is, it's, it's therapeutic, it's cathartic, it's special. Central Coast Trail Rides has stay and play packages. I know my sweetheart has her mom and sister coming to town next month. Perfect for the ultimate girls getaway. And it goes without saying, a great date excursion. Check out my friends at Central Coast Trail Rides. Learn more, cctrailrides.com. And of course, you can always link to Travel Paso from our website, pasowine.com, or check out travelpaso.com. 
Well, harvest continues, and like last episode, by the time we chat next, I want to hit up another crush pad and get some more of that firsthand info on how this harvest is treating some of your favorite winemakers. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Robles Wine. Executive producer, Jen Bravo. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music by Moonshiner Collective. You can follow them wherever you get your music and log on to moonshinercollective.com for more. And the next time you are cruising around on the Central Coast, whether in your car or on the back of a horse, you can tune in to me, my morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, weekday mornings on Coast 104.5, and Wine Country Radio, the Cork Dorks Liquid Lunch, and more on The Crush 92.5. And you could stream both those stations, uh, The Crush at Crush, with a K, K-R-U-S-H, Crush925.com. Well, thank you for connecting with me again. I'm Adam Montiel. Until next time, let's hold that glass up high and cheers to the people, the stories, and the paths that brought us here. Enjoy where wine takes you. And give me that passion, get bowing, pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify and work on. Give me that moonshine, get bowing, pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify and work on. Give me that moonshine, get bowing, pass on down till the job is out in the trees, we will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, we will simplify in good company.